0: Welcome to the latest edition of the PigX Podcast and cheers to 2024. As always, I'm your host, Delaney Howell. This month, we're bringing back a longtime friend of the podcast, Matt Ramoser, a swine field specialist for Iowa State University, along with a new voice to some of our listeners, Derek Henningsen, who is the Guild Flow Manager for JBS Live Pork. Tune in with us here over the next 30 minutes or so to learn more about the importance guilt selection and sow longevity play in your swine's herd, and more specifically how factors such as foot health, nutrition, the environment, and disease impact longevity over time. So let's dive in. So Derek, super excited to have you on the podcast today. And I think a great place to start would be to touch on a little bit of your background and how you found yourself as the guilt Flow Manager for JBS Live Pork.
1: Yeah, well, I'm excited to be on as well. Uh, Really, really happy and looking forward to, to discussing some of this guilt Selection stuff with us today. But background about me. So grew up in eastern Iowa on a diversified livestock farm, went to a junior college in Illinois for two years, was part of their livestock judging team. Received my associate's degree from Illinois Central College there in 2018. Transferred out to Iowa State then in the fall of 2018. Again, was pretty heavily involved with the livestock judging team, but started to kind of gain some more of the commercial pig production experience out here at Iowa State. Competed on the livestock judging team through 2019. And then the spring of 2020, obviously when COVID hit, I was posed with either entering the the real world per se or uh, the opportunity arose to Manage the school's twine teaching farm and do a master's there under Dr. Ken Stalder. That's what I chose to do. So stayed on through the summer of 2020. Started my master's then in the fall of 2020, geared around kind of sow longevity. We were specifically looking at overgrown toes and what was causing that. So finished my master's up then uh, just this past summer in 2023. Started after that then in August uh, with JBS, where I serve as the guilt flow manager for JBS Live Pork.
0: Awesome. And Matt, I know you're an old voice to the podcast here, but for those of our listeners just tuning in with us, would you mind giving us a brief overview of your background as well?
2: Certainly. Yeah. Matt Romos, your swine field specialist for Iowa State. I cover 14 counties here in Southeast Iowa. Background being primarily on the reproductive side of things. I've got a master's degree in animal physiology and really just have focused my career on on the South side of things and reproductive management and selection and have a background a little bit, spent some time in the genetics industry as well. So certainly a passion of mine to be able to be on here today and be able to visit about what the ideal animal is that we're going to be selecting to, to enter into the farm.
0: Absolutely. And I know we've had a lot of discussions around really starting at that reproductive level, but that's where we want to focus our attention again here today is guilt selection and sow lameness. And Derek, I know you mentioned you've done quite a bit of work during your master's thesis, looking at foot health and foot quality. So maybe that's a good place to start is talking a little bit more about some of that research you've done.
1: Yeah. So when I was at Iowa State with biosecurity concerns and me managing the school swine teaching farm, I wasn't really able to get out and collect a lot of on-farm data. So we utilized a lot of different surveys. And our main goal of of my master's was to try to correlate overgrown toes uh, and just kind of in general foot health with different environmental factors. So we looked at types of flooring, types of just housing styles, some different things like that. And we utilized a lot of different surveys. So I believe when it was all said and done, we had about two hundred and forty thousand sows represented from several different production companies, and kind of just were looking at what they said they had for environments, and then what they said they had for primary foot problems, whether that was overgrown toes or different types of of lesions on the foot, whether they had problems with dew claws or uh, foot pads, anything like that. So unfortunately, that data that we collected. Uh, we couldn't draw any statistical significant correlations between anything, but I think provided a lot of insight about maybe some of the problems that we're currently facing. And in general, I do think they're, the foot has a lot of problems that can try to be solved or at least mitigated going forth to try to promote some more longevity in our south bases.
2: You know, Derek, I, I think you bring up some good points there. And I always find it interesting, especially if you go on a south farm and if the Manager or the owner taking you around is, you know, gracious enough to show you their coal pen or sows being ready to be sent off for calling. It always amazes me just how, how many foot issues you can spot just standing outside the pen. And, you know, I think that producers are starting to be a little bit maybe more receptive to the idea of foot trimming, but I don't think it's, it's not something that's commonly practiced. But I think if there's obviously as sows get older and wear their toes differently, whether it's, you know, obviously in group house settings going to have more more wear on foot or the toe versus in a stalled barn but obviously environment is going to play a, a little bit of a role maybe on how that foot develops over the lifespan of that of that animal and I, I think it would be interesting to know if how longevity can be improved if, if foot trimming was a common practice obviously not done today just because of the labor constraints and the expertise that it would require to be able to do that but it's always uh, something that's very easily very prevalent in sow barns when you see especially when you look at ones that are being culled early Absolutely. You know, and it's it's funny, on this survey
1: that we sent out, one of the last questions that we had was revolving around foot trimming. And I was under kind of the same impression as you, you know, it takes a lot of extra time, you know, there's some extra equipment and stuff like that involved, and you obviously have to be trained on how to do it. Uh, but when we posed this question, and I think we had 60 some odd farms that responded, almost two thirds of them said that they had practiced We called it functional hoof trimming or toe trimming in some capacity, and and we were kind of taken back by that. What that entails, I guess we didn't set a a true parameter on what toe trimming was, but it was very, very interesting to us that two-thirds or 70% or whatever it was, I can't remember the exact number, had said that they had done Toe trimming in some capacity. So, obviously, it, if some people are saying that it's a big enough issue out there to where, you know, we probably need to start doing more earlier and being proactive about it to maybe prevent some of these instances that we're seeing so late in production.
0: I think talking foot lameness or foot health is really important. And you mentioned it really impacts the longevity of sows. But before we get to that step, we have to think about guilt selection and the goals associated with that. Matt, why is it so important to focus on that? And why do we need to do better as an industry?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a a great question, Delaney. I think it's, it's really important to distinguish the differences between guilt eligibility and guilt selection you know i think a lot of the work like we've discussed on a previous podcast with jenny patterson a lot of that work that's come out of canada i think is you know certainly starting to get adopted more readily in the industry i think a lot of farms kind of adhere to a lot of that general guidelines and benchmarks especially with regarding to weight at breeding uh, weight at first breeding and and trying to get as many gilts to have two heat nose serves before before being bred but at that point, you're almost too late for the selection process to happen, right? So just because they're eligible doesn't mean they're a good candidate to be bred. And I think sometimes farms get into that mentality a little bit that if they've got four legs under them and they're in standing heat, then they're a good candidate to be able to come into the herd. But in some instances, that's probably not the case, right? Because if if they're not suitable from a structure standpoint, then ultimately they're probably going to leave the herd early, and and ultimately probably be a net loss from a profitability standpoint. So I think it's important to distinguish. While we we want to maximize the number of guilts in our pool that are eligible, we also want to be very critical on the selection of those guilts that we even consider for eligibility to begin with. I mean, we we've talked about it largely as an industry a lot of times that lameness is the number two reason why sows are or why gilts or sows are removed early in the herd behind reproductive failure and from a mortality standpoint it's still the number two known cause only behind unknown deaths on the south farm so as far as you know known mortalities that we have on the south farm it's the leader so i think from a lameness standpoint it's, it's something that we really need to address from a selection because obviously high percentage of our sows are being or sows and gilts are being removed well before they've, they've paid for themselves just as a result of wear and tear on their skeleton.
0: So as you think about monitoring for lameness, I think it's interesting to note that you mentioned it's really the number two reason why sows are removed from a herd. How do you go about monitoring for that and knowing when to remove them from the herd or just even prevention of getting to that point of having lameness or lesions or other causes of uh, foot issues?
2: Well, I'd be interested to know what what Derek's thoughts are on this. My my opinion, I feel like as the the industry has Shifted to to more and more group house settings. My opinion, caretakers visually see the locomotion and and see those cells. From a structure standpoint, more frequently on a daily basis versus when sows were all in gestation stalls, and really the only requirement for that sow was to be able to stand and lay down during the day. So I think I think caretakers see it more often and identify more lameness issues uh, in today's industry, uh, just given the the trans transition we've seen as far as housing styles. So I think from a, from a mitigation standpoint, obviously there's veterinary intervention that that can take place if if you need to do any sort of pain mitigation and so forth. But I, I think a lot of it it comes back to obviously managing that guilt or uh sow from a body condition standpoint obviously the more weight that sow has to carry around can impact and stress that muscle and skeletal system as well as probably trying to prevent them from being too thin as well you can, especially in a group house setting if if you have a small or a younger parity sow or one that's a little bit thin and kind of gets bullied into a pen or maybe is a little bit subordinate at feeding time she's probably going to experience more aggressive interactions if you will which probably predisposes her to a little bit Increased risk of lameness.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, again, at the end of the day, it comes down to stockmanship and our ability as caretakers to go out and see those problems. And I think, like Matt had kind of alluded to, the transition from stalls maybe to more group housing maybe doesn't make us better. Stockmen, per se, but I think it gives us the opportunity to see those animals maybe from a different viewpoint. If they're getting up and walking across the pen, it's a lot easier to see, you know, maybe some sort of lameness problem or or toe issue in that regard versus when they're all kind of lined up in a row of gestation stalls. So I do think that that helps hopefully start to bring down the instances of lameness, or at the very least, we should be able to see them, identify them, and treat them faster. But again, like Matt said, there's a lot of things from a sow standpoint that we can't control, different stresses that go on. Her body's naturally changing each and every time as she puts on weight, but trying to do our best to keep body condition in check I think is is very, very critical because that's one thing that we can do day in and day out is recognize sows that are maybe getting a little too thin or getting a, a little too fat and try to keep them kind of sort of in the middle. And I think that middle ground is where we see the fewest amount of problems from a structure standpoint and gives us our best chance at at making that sow uh, productive and successful.
0: So lameness is not the only factor that impacts longevity. There's quite a few others that impact longevity as well, but maybe aren't as prevalent. Matt, do you want to give us an overview of what some of those other factors are?
2: Yeah. So obviously, you know, lameness and, and confirmation is something that selectors need to be able to pay attention to. But, you know, obviously these are these gilts are being selected to be a uh, part of the reproductive engine that the sow farm is right. So obviously reproductive traits are going to be vital for selection. So underlying quality, and, and especially with today's hyperprolific sow that, you know, can commonly give anywhere from, you know, 15 to 18, sometimes more total born, you got to have it be able to have enough teats for that litter to be able to nurse. So obviously if there's any abnormalities on the underlying standpoint, or doesn't have enough functional teats to be able to effectively nurse that litter, I think that's an easy one for selectors to be able to spot. And I think in most cases, farms do a pretty good job of that. If not, it ultimately creates more labor in the farrowing houses uh, from a cross-fostering standpoint to be able to make sure we're, you know, helping pigs, you know, young pigs be able to get enough to to eat and survive. So I think Underline's an easy one to, to be able to teach selectors to be able to pay attention to and, and to be able to select for. You know, a study that I was involved in a number of years ago with uh, Dr. Ross, you know, we'd done a, a study basically trying to use vulva width as a, as a biomarker for fertility for for gilts obviously like what we've talked before uh, uh, maybe a previous episode but age at puberty is is a pretty good predictor of that guilt's ability to make it to parity three just given the fact that reproductive failure can really knock out a high percentage of a guilt pool or or salves remaining in the herd so the the challenge with age at puberty though is a lot of times like we've discussed already it, it can happen a little bit later in that guilt's life where really we'd like to be able to make that selection of whether she's an eligible guilt or not earlier. So what we did was we used vulva width as a, as a biomarker at around week 15. So those pigs were just a little over hundred days old and basically tried to correlate that to their fertility. And what we found was gilts with a wider vulva, a larger vulva at that age, higher percentage of them had a parity one and over two parodies had more total born and born alive pigs through parity two. So we were effective in that case of being able to select gilts that have a little bit more reproductive potential or identify those with a little more reproductive potential. And I don't, I'm not saying, I don't think that has to be a make or break selection criteria, but what I've t- told producers is I feel like that's something that can be used maybe as just a, you know, if they've got, if they're below average for vulva size, that can be something, you know, maybe a strike against them, you know, so especially if you've got a gilt that maybe is a little bit straighter shouldered or she's a little bit steeper through her hip. And she's got a and she's got a small bowl before you know. I think there's a couple indicators there that she's probably not going to make it to parity three. So in that case, I think a a selector can certainly take confidence, probably just removing that one.
0: Derek, anything else to add there?
2: No, I think
1: what Matt had kind of said at the end there in terms of selection criteria is so important. You know, we can get super, super critical on some areas without a doubt. You know, infantile vulvas are big problems regarding the underline or some things maybe that we're going to strike that guilt and remove her immediately. But in general, you know, in the commercial industry, we're not exactly uh, blessed with a plethora of guilt to go ahead and, and be ultra, ultra critical all the time. So sometimes we have to give a little bit when it comes to selection and, and we have to sacrifice maybe a little bit from the the ideal in order to meet selection criteria that we have to have or selection rates that we have to have to get into the South farm to meet kind of our breed targets for that week. So while there are some things, you know, confirmation relative to their contemporaries, try to sort out some smaller guilt. There is some things regarding structure where we maybe have to give a little bit and and stem just a little bit away from the ideal in order to meet kind of some of those needs uh, from just a total number standpoint at the South Farm. So I do think kind of the multiple strike method of, hey, you know, maybe she's not very good about the angle to her shoulder. She's a little straighter there. Maybe she's just a little bit uh, narrower and flatter about her body shape. You know, those are some things that start to compile that can maybe work gilts down. But selection in general can be very, very tricky when it comes to to the needs of the South farms.
0: And Matt, from an environmental perspective, how would you say that it impacts longevity in addition to lameness and reproductive traits?
2: Yeah, so I would say from, a, you know, a, a couple other factors obviously we've touched on on how impactful body condition and and weight can be as affecting the uh, guilt's ability to to make it to parity 3 or or beyond you know also i think when you look at the gdu and how we're going to manage those gilts in their environment i think it's important to consider a few things obviously flooring is going one that's going to be very a lot whether you have an older barn that's maybe partially slatted or a or a barn that's fully slatted is going to change the way you know way that those pigs navigate across that floor obviously a partially slatted is going to probably have a little you know has a tendency to be a little bit more of a damp environment maybe a little dirtier type of environment uh, I would say also, you know, from a slat quality standpoint, making sure that you don't have slats that have too sharp of edges just something that can score or damage the pads uh, and create a, more of a discomfort for those gilts, especially when they're growing. Not necessarily those gilts can't handle it and adapt, but I think from a selection standpoint, it makes it more difficult on the selector, especially if you've got a high percentage of gilts that just have sore feet. You're probably not getting a realistic evaluation of what that gilts functional skeleton and potential is if she's impacted by, you know, slat quality or a little bit rougher slat. Stocking density, I think is another one that, you know, you hear the phrase a lot that we shouldn't treat our gilts like market dogs. And a lot of times you go into a GDU, especially if they're a little bit more mature and they might be stocked at seven or eight square feet, you know, a typical, typical density we would see in a finisher right before that first cut. And those gilts, especially when they get up to 300 pounds, they can get pretty tight in there. And I think just that stocking density, not only impairs, puts them at a little bit more risk for injury because you've got tighter living quarters and you're you're having to navigate just be able to just to get to feed and is a little bit more difficult for those larger gilts, It also limits their ability to have access to a bore. So if we're doing gil development right and we're and we're starting boar exposure early in life, you know the competition for access to that boar in a in a tightly dense or tightly stocked pen is going to be more challenging, and and ultimately we're going to probably have a higher percentage of gilts that maybe don't get adequate exposure or cycle later in their life, which isn't great from an eligibility standpoint either. You know, I think another imp- important factor to touch on would just be disease. So obviously there's there's lots of different diseases that we have to sit there and compound. And a lot of times those gilts have to be intentionally exposed to diseases prior to entering to a farm, depending on what pathogens that farm would be, would already have carrying. And a lot of times we're probably introducing naive gilts to that farm or ones that we have to acclimate from a health standpoint. So that becomes a little bit of a stressor for those gilts, you know, specifically ones that I think can impact structure conformation is especially any sort of a strep that can get in the joints and cause stiffness and swelling. You see mycoplasma a lot of times it can impact function. And just joint quality and to be able to move comfortably. Obviously, mycoplasmin can infect the joint as well. So, I think there's just some things from a health standpoint that really compromise those guilt's ability. You know, not necessarily from a longevity standpoint, but it can certainly hinder their ability early on in life when we're really growing those gilts and developing them to be the next, you know, the next profit center for the herd.
0: Taking a step away from looking at longevity and more into the area of selection, what would you say are some of the major criteria that need to be paid greater attention to?
2: I guess I would just ask Derek, as we're going through and evaluating confirmation, there's lots of different things that we can we can go off of. What are some of the things that you see, uh, you know, some of the common issues we see in gilts or things that you think producers need to maybe pay a little bit greater attention to when they're going through and selecting
1: in regards to selection criteria in general uh, there's about four or five things at least from a JBS standpoint that we try to look at they're pretty broad you know there's some capacities where we're doing some genetics looking at you know breeding values or stuff like that to try to get more superior guilts into the pipeline if you will uh, but in general, confirmation uh, underlines and vulvas, which we touched on some, and then structure. And that's front and rear structure of that animal. But from a confirmation standpoint, in, in some big things that we're seeing, uh, at least from from our standpoint in the industry size relative to their contemporaries you know there's a lot of data out there that suggests faster growing gilt tend to reach puberty maybe a little bit earlier their offspring tend to perform a little bit better so when we're doing selection in some of those large pens it's pretty easy to find kind of our low performers in that group. And maybe they're just a little bit smaller. Those are the easy ones to identify, but then also the ones that are really, really narrow. And from a body shape and a width standpoint, just aren't uh, robust enough, if you will. And those are some of the other ones that we wanna try to sort out as well. There's been some research out. I know that looked at body shape and their ability to get up and down in the crates. And I do think there's some validity to that from a sow longevity standpoint. So little things like that from a confirmation standpoint that we're trying to look at and trying to select for or against, against, I guess. But it, it can be challenging in some of those pens. You have a lot of gilts that are moving around at once, and ideally, we'd be able to look at every single one of them, be able to get perfect reads on every single animal, but it can be challenging at times. You know, they're circling around you. You're potentially seeing the same animal four or five times in a row as they're moving throughout the pen.
2: I would just add, you know, we we talk and make it sound like this is an easy thing to do, and like you just highlighted there, Derek, like it's a challenge, you know, especially when when you have a gilt pool, and it's probably easiest to find you know, the top 25%, you know, it's easy to go through and find the ones that you think are ideal from a confirmation standpoint, but it's when we start to get deeper into that pen, and we're selecting it, pulling it, maybe a 70% selection rate, and you try to start to have to try to make some tough calls. And I think that becomes challenging, especially when we're talking about something like evaluating structure, you know, something that's very subjective, something that requires a good deal of training. You know, I think in my experience, a selector is, is something that is I think on South Farms maybe has the, one of the more important positions, but it's something that obviously we we have to deal with turnover at as well. So it's as soon as you get somebody who you feel is comfortable, it's selecting a lot of times that they may move on to a, to a different role or, or completely leave the farm in general or leave the operation. So it's it's challenging because you're constantly having to train somebody on how to evaluate confirmation. And I think just things like flexibility and comfort and foot size, I think can go a long way, especially when we talk about probably trying to eliminate those gilts with a little bit smaller feet or a little bit finer bone. I think you hear producers talk about that a lot, just from a being able to displace their weight over a bigger surface. I think most producers would would suggest or would agree that that's beneficial to those gilts and just be able to remain more comfortable through their life. I would say, you know, another, just you know, some of the challenges that comes with it, you know, I think you already hit it on a little bit. You just with the, the differences in demand throughout the year. You know, obviously we get into the, the warmer days of July or August, seasonal demand and, and ability to make breed target changes our objectives a little bit. You know, obviously it's a lot of farms are going to be inclined to dig a little deeper and maybe pull up ones that are maybe not bad candidates to breed, but maybe suboptimal on an area or two from, from a structure standpoint. But in order to meet, meet breed target, you have to, you have to bring them into the herd, which really creates a, a challenging cycle for the farm because you know, it, it, it's, it's, Likely that maybe some of those gilts won't last that long in the herd, right? Obviously, it's it's a challenge from that way. Or, or an example, if you have a purge break and you have a high percentage of sows aboard, or you have a high percentage of coals going out the door, and you have to dig a little deeper into that into that gilt pool. um, I think it can make certainly make some challenges that way, just from balancing a good parity structure and and keeping the right females in the herd when it comes to selection. So, certainly not easy. Certainly more challenging than we're making it sound disgusting in here today.
0: Awesome. Well, I think then the last thing that I usually like to snag from guests is just some sort of take-home message. So, you know, we've talked about a lot of things, but what's something simple that listeners can walk away from knowing that they've learned something, or if you really want them to take one thing away, what is that one thing?
2: I think it's just really valuable for farm manager to emphasize whoever's doing the selecting, whether it's they themselves or an employee that they've got staffed, I think really emphasize the value that they bring to the farm. I think that's, That's a huge point. You know, a lot of times you you feel like we dedicate all of our resources and all of our time to either the breed row of those sows getting bred that week or just to the firing rooms and addressing day one pig care. And certainly those are high value tasks where when we get into the gilt selection times, at times, maybe it doesn't feel like that high value of a task, but certainly makes a difference on profitability of that farm and those sows ability to remain in the herd to a profitable parity, Uh, especially when you look at high input costs like today, having those sows hang around to parity two, or maybe not even hang around past parity one certainly doesn't create a good profit center in that regard. So I think it's just important to really emphasize to that person on the farm, how valuable that whatever, whoever's doing the selecting, how valuable their work is to the future success of that farm.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, to me, a uh, profitable south farm has the the things that you mentioned and do that very very well regarding breeding or day one care. But being able to set that farm up with with high quality gilts, I think, is is pivotal to that that farm success or that business's success. So making sure that we put emphasis on our gilts and on our our selection criteria, I think, is truly truly important. The other thing that I'll say is. You know, understand that guilt selection, there's not one one thing that, that overpowers the other. It's a culmination of a lot of things that come to the ideal animal. And I think that's kind of the balance uh, that those really, really good selectors are able to do is they can balance all of those traits that it requires for those guilts to be really, really successful as sows. And that to me is so important as well in being able to understand uh, that there's a lot of different things that go into selection in general.
0: Well, thank you again to Derek and Matt for joining us on this deep discussion into sow lameness, longevity, and selection criteria. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. Be sure to catch up with us next month when we have more conversations related to swine livability. Until next time, I'm your host Delaney Howell, and this has been the Pig X Podcast.
1: PigX is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project Partners at Iowa State University. Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org, or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, email ipic at iastate.edu. X ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.